I want you to turn with me, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're continuing on our series in uh, David's Encounters with God, particularly around that stage uh, of history in Israel and also his own personal experiences as both king and disciple of God. I want to read this well-known passage. Uh, it's found in verse 20. We'll not read all of the chapter, but verse 20 to verse um, 37. You will know the story well if you've even a very tentative connection with uh, church or with uh, um, any experiences of religion at all. This will be something that you'll be familiar with, the story of David and Goliath. Um, And so it's a pretty common story, and yet we want to delve into it, perhaps in a way this morning that may be understood and appreciated in some facets of it that might not be. Let's begin at... um, Verse 20, early in the morning, David left the flock with uh, a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Elab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, He burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done? said David. Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. When David said was overheard, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, 
Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the Lord. The Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Let us pray together. Lord, we ask in these moments that the power of your Holy Spirit would speak to us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Inside or outside of church, David and Goliath is a great story. It could be used by anybody in any context and often has been, not just within uh, religious contexts. If you were in a football team and a coach, you might want to use it. If you were in the corner of a boxing match, you might want to use it. If you were a company up against huge difficulties and competitors, you might want to use it to suggest that someone small, apparently insignificant and under-resourced, can take on an enemy or a competitor and win is a tremendous motivational talk. And that's how most of us quite often face our giants. We seek to overcome them. And we can use stories like David and Goliath to great effect in order to do that. And it will be something that we will consider in a few moments, just how we overcome giants. But there was a greater giant that needed to be overcome, and it wasn't Goliath. It was Israel. They were their own worst giant. They had all sorts of problems and difficulties in their history. And one of the things that troubled them was an inability to be different than anyone else. They wanted a king like everybody else, like other nations possessed. They weren't simply happy with the fact of a theocracy that God should rule. They wanted a type of democracy or monarchy, which in some senses set up an individual human being that had sole responsibility of guiding them, providing, protecting, establishing them as a nation, defining their borders, defending their borders. They could see how other nations had operated with a great degree of success with strong armies. And they had 
never been asked to form an army as such, just to respond to the Lord's commands, which often meant that those who were not soldiers became soldiers. But they could still be successful under the God regime if they chose to accept it. But they didn't. They were unhappy at doing that. And so God acquiesced. God said to them, okay, if that's what you want, I will give you it. But there are certain restrictions as to how a king should operate. Even then, they failed to comply. Because the kings took on responsibilities that they shouldn't, lived a life that appeared to, at times, be inconsistent with their profession. And Israel had become alloyed in terms of its um, purity before God. They were struggling. And here's another example of where they were struggling. They had chosen Saul to be king, which was good. But because of Saul's disobedience before God, he was being dispossessed and deposed as king, and a new king had been anointed. But it wasn't a king that they expected. In fact, the king was a child. And he wasn't even one of the children from Jesse that they were expecting. In fact, when Samuel arrived to anoint the future king, He looked at everyone Jesse brought out and said, well, that is all very good, but I don't, do you have any other children? I don't feel God directing me to any of the the sons that you have brought before me. Jesse said, well, I have a child, a young son out keeping sheep. And he said, bring him to me. And so they brought that young child before Samuel, and he anointed them as future king in the presence of other brothers who were much older. And then we read in this passage that Jesse wanted um, David to take out supplies to his own brothers out on the battlefield because they had been confronted with a huge monster called Goliath who was well-skilled and well-trained in battle. Although I did read the New York Times actually put something about he was possibly blind because of his size. And that's why he shouted out, uh, who's going to oppose me? He didn't see very well, which wouldn't have been a great asset if you were going to be hit with a slingshot, um, rather than at close combat. Nevertheless, Goliath was a huge giant of a man with military history. David arrives. And David's mystified. Who's fighting for us? How many days has this man shouted out his blasphemies against our God? And and has the king not offered certain benefits? Now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and he will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. Yet nobody was stepping up to the plate except David. And his brothers went, go home. What are you doing here? This is a place for men, 
not boys. You've come as a curious child to watch this great battle. Go home. Look after a few sheep that you have in the desert. He said, I'm not. It's a shame and disgrace to Israel that nobody's fighting this giant. And he tried to have a conversation about the prospects of doing it. And again, he was belittled and mocked until Saul heard. And Saul was desperate. And so he had an audience with David. And the rest is history. You see, Israel had a big giant in their life too. God was never working in the way they expected. They were always looking in the wrong place at the wrong time for the wrong person. And in many senses, this was a foreshadowing of Jesus. And they still missed him. Get the point? Looking at the wrong things in the wrong direction. The giant they had to overcome was often themselves. See, we can so easily dismiss a God of our own making, become disappointed with the God of our own construction, be angry with the disappointing God that we have fabricated, even from our own cultures, experiences, backgrounds, and misconceptions. Jesus was missed by his own people and is in danger of being missed by many. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 53, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him and nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And we missed them. And the Pharisees missed them. And the religious leaders missed them. And the bulk of the Israelite population missed them and are still looking for a deliverer. Are you looking for the wrong deliverer? Are you and I in danger as human beings? of making our own God up, the one we would like, and not the one revealed. Because the one revealed might be shocking, might call you to take risks that you are not prepared to take, might call you to trust in a way that you've never had to trust before, might call you to deny yourself and take up your cross to follow him. The real Jesus who worked and ministered amongst us might call us to sacrifice more than we would like. But that God must overcome that giant in us. Must lay that giant to rest. You and I have a wonderful opportunity to overcome giants if we trust in God. What about 
your deliverer. Who is he? Or what is it? What are you trusting in today? Because it will never, ever be successful if it airbrushes God out. So what was this real revelation in Israel? It was putting God at the center. Not resting on human appearance, but upon dependence on God. And Saul was even in the mindset of seeking to do that. Okay, the story is unfolding. We are faced now with a huge giant. He's shouting out blasphemies against the children of Israel. Nobody is stepping up to the mark. We have drawn up our battle lines. And no matter what incentive has been given, no one will go out and face this huge giant. And and isn't that true? When we are fearful of our giants, human incentive never seems to be enough of a motivation. It doesn't matter what we're going to be given by other people. If we are disabled by fear, we will remain at the battle line and not go out onto the battlefield. Our feet will be stuck firm to the position that we're in, too frightened to move forward, regardless of what human beings say, do, or whatever they try to help us with. But David was prepared to go out and face his giant because he knew something that they struggled to actually perceive. That strength in life is not based on our own abilities or anything that a human being can provide for us, but only in God himself. And how does this story unfold to demonstrate that? Because Saul brings David to him and he says, David, you're a boy. I'm not even in my right mind if I let you go out onto that battlefield. There's something inside of me that even though I say I believe in God, that I underestimate or at least I don't fully appreciate what God can do. Because, David, I cannot let you out onto that battlefield without, first of all, giving you some protection. And I want to give you my armor to do that. I want to provide for you what I possess, what I have depended upon in other battles. And Saul had. How many battles had Saul fought with this armor on? And he said, son... I know what it's like there out on the battlefield. And okay, you have a little story of what you did with the lion and the bear. And that's very impressive. But I have confronted men in the past bigger than me, probably better soldiers than than I would be. But see this armor? It has served me well. 
Therefore, David, take my armor, put it on, and if you need to go out onto that battlefield, at least you will have the protection that I can offer you. And David said, no. I'm going out there in God's strength and in God's strength alone. Yeah, but what, without anything on? Yes, I've got my slingshot. And I know God can use that. And believe it or not, Saul, it's a better tactic than the one that you're giving me. Because with your armor, not only is it too heavy, I have no mobility with this weight on. And how do you think I could confront this giant stuck to the earth? It would also mean I would have to get close to him to use your weapons. I want to keep a distance. Enough distance between myself and him to use my weapons that God gives me effectively. And have you seen the size of this guy? If he falls on me, if I'm that close, I'm gone. What does that say to you and I? If God is for us, who can be against us? If we're depending on God, does it really matter what size the giant actually is? If we're using the equipment that he has given us, every giant falls. If we're truly trusting in him, it's a simple faith in him that carries us through the battle, not the complexities of our armor, not the construction or advice or provision of human beings, but ultimately from God himself. And how many of us are guilty of being like Saul? Even those that are raising families, How many are so guilty about giving our children our armor because we think it served as well when it might not be the armor that God wants for them? When he may have a different, different armor for them to wear. It's so refreshing because it takes the responsibility away from us and places it on God. And we are so, so enculturated into the idea that we build up our own protections and defenses. If you'd have taken Saul out onto that battlefield without his armor, he would have felt naked. He would have felt very vulnerable, very exposed, but not David. David didn't feel naked on the battlefield. He knew he had been provided for. How many of us, when we lay down our protections and securities in life, feel vulnerable and naked? That unless we're constructing our own defenses, that we are vulnerable to our giants when we're not. We can go out into any battlefield with God with what we're attired in. God will use our life for his glory. I don't know what your giant is today. 
but you have one. You have one that you're fearful of. You have one that towers over every other thing in life, just like Goliath did over the Philistines. You are standing on the battle lines, frightened to go out into battle in case you become a victim, when you should take confidence today that when God goes into battle with you, there is always victory. No matter the size of the giant or fearful the opposition. When you are solely depending upon God, when you have laid down all your human strength, when you have divested yourself of every possible construction that you have made, And make God your only God. Make the one true God your strength. Then nothing is impossible with Him. Every battle can be faced. And we can be victorious in all and every situation. And finally... Perhaps if you're disappointed with God, it's the wrong God. Perhaps we need to look at what sort of deliverer we had created and start to think about the deliverer that the Bible reveals. That's a journey. But it's an exciting one because it may lead us to a wonderful experience of the true and living God. Let us pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we might be overcome by all sorts of fears today, Perhaps even a fear that the, that the God that we have created would never sustain us. Well, then let's look to the God who is revealed, and He will. Maybe we're fearful today of the towering giants of despair, hopelessness, depression the fearful giants in our lives of mounting debt, of loneliness, of feeling inadequate, powerless, incompetent. Maybe we're facing the giants today of illness, of a diagnosis that is outside of our ability to control or to effectively respond to. And really, Lord, we have been overcome by the size of those giants, overwhelmed. And yet, Lord, the Scriptures teach us in Lamentation chapter 3, it is because of the Lord's great love that we are not consumed, because His compassions faileth not. And it doesn't matter the size of the giant nor the constitution of that giant. 
if we are looking to the God revealed in Scripture who is the God of love and grace, the God of all power and all might and all wisdom, then we will never, never be consumed, overwhelmed or overpowered by the enemies that face us. But because of a Lord's great love, we will truly not be consumed. And if there's anyone in here today who's overwhelmed by the troubles that they experience in life, may they take comfort from this passage that looking at the God revealed and not the God we've made, that we would be in a position to believe that no matter how vulnerable or how weak or how exposed we feel, that the God of all love and all grace will not allow us to be consumed. And if we are depending upon Him and all that He provides, then He will see us victorious and triumphant. May the Holy Spirit empower us to this end, we pray. In Jesus' name.